Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood, story time! Alright, uh, it's been a long uh, gap between episodes here, and I apologize for that. It's been a very interesting couple of weeks. Uh, last week, uh, and this week both, as you know, writing stories... Uh, for the anthology workshop that I've got coming up in March, and they're due Sunday nights at midnight, and last week's story ended up being quite a bit longer than I thought it would be, uh, so I spent a lot of time on that one. This week, I've already got my story turned in for this week, but it's uh, just been a hectic week between work and family and, and writing and holiday stuff, and I don't know, it's weird, it seems like the week has been nuts. But that's okay, it's a good good week, anyway. Getting writing done, and doing some other, you know, fun stuff. And getting some business stuff done, too. Um, I think the last episode I talked about how I was getting a facelift for my Gloomer Veil book. Well, the book's first one, uh, the new cover's done. Uh, I'll put up here where you can see it. Um, the original cover, I liked. Uh, I liked a lot. Uh, Jim Beveridge did the cover. He's a great artist up in Canada. And, uh, you know, I thought it kind of had sort of the old school fantasy kind of look to it, but, and, and here's the big but, right? People who read the book like it, but, uh, sales never really catched on and I wouldn't, couldn't really help but wonder if the cover, even though it's really nice work and I liked it, uh, wasn't contributing to it. So I got some feedback at the business workshop back in October and the general consensus was yeah man it doesn't quite match the genre you're you're going for and the tone that your book is and that's really something I've been thinking about for really like a year now is I really should change these covers even though I, I like Jim I like his work but I wanted to try something different so I hired a guy who was at the workshop uh, the master workshop uh, guy named Brandon Swan, good dude, uh, and he uh, does cover stuff, and he came up with the new one, which I think is superior in a lot of ways. Not, again, nothing against Jim's work. I liked it a lot, but I think this one, A, it goes with the uh, uh, overall branding scheme. If you look at how I've done some of my other covers with the name and the title and how all those other work, and also, it's a little more dynamic and says, yes, these are guys with swords, swordsmen, sword and sorcery. Hoo yeah. Um, so, gonna, so I liked it. We're going to go in with that one. And I'm uh, going to rebrand the whole rest of the series and future Gloomer Veil books, which there will be, uh, in similar fashion. And we'll see what that does, if it uh, helps take it off or not. Or even if it doesn't, I just think it's always good to have a facelift every now and then. Um, so... Yeah, that's what's up with that. So, 
aside from that, just getting ready for the holidays around here. It's been a fun uh, bit with that going on. Right, so let's get to this next story. Uh, this one I wrote in uh, 2013, I think. Uh, was, uh, ended up being <laughs> another one of those examples where it's a story that I had a concept for and ended up being quite a bit longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, <coughs> this firmly in novelette life, just under novella, I think it's around 15 or 16,000 words. So I'll sp spread this out over the next couple episodes just to keep the uh, episode lengths at a good uh, 20 minutes to a half hour or so. And we'll go from there. It's called The Beast and the God Woman. The Beast and the God Woman. Written by me and read by me. And again, I apologize for that. Part 1. The beach stretched forth as far as the eye could see, a blazing strip of white sand that returned the sun's touch with a fire of its own, as though daring the sun to burn hotter. Small crabs, barely larger than a thumbnail, dug their way up from beneath the scorching sand and poked their claws out, tentatively testing the air before scurrying down to the water's edge. Many never made it there, instead getting snatched up by seagulls that winged overhead, watching the sand and waves with, for prey with sharp eyes and making their calls to each other in an avian symphony. A strong offshore breeze made the palm trees along the beach sway, their long green leaves rubbing against each other like lovers caught in a passionate embrace. The same breeze drove rolling waves that collapsed over hidden breakers well over a hundred paces from the beach leaving only small ripples to lap ashore and cool the grains of sand lucky enough to be within their reach. In the nearly still water, colorful fish danced around coral beds and through forests of swaying seaweed, content and sheltered from harm in their gentle lagoon. Or so the fish thought, but the breakers that created such peaceful conditions for them also allowed the gulls easy view of their prey in the water. On occasion, one of them would plunge toward the water instead of the sand and emerge with a fish that happened to swim too near the surface, held in its talons. Crying out in triumph, it would bring its meal to the sand and consume it there for all to see. Yili liked it when they did that because gulls were easier to take on the ground than in the air. He would crouch under the palm trees at the beach's end and watch with a stone loaded into the cup of his sling. And when a gull landed unawares within his range, he would whip the sling around his head, casting the stone at the bird and taking it before it knew danger was lurking nearby. Then he would dart onto the sand, his bare feet long since calloused against the sand's fire, grab the bird, and retreat back to the cover of the vegetation. He often felt the call of the sun in those brief excursions onto the strip of fire, and he often felt the deep desire in his bones to stay and lay himself down, nude, save for his loincloth made from the height of a boar, on the burning sand, and wait for the sun god to take him away to paradise. But he dared not remain on that beach too long. That way lay danger, a danger that threatened to take him away from the sun god's protection and drag him screaming into the darkness, where torments beyond imagination waited for those unwary or unlucky enough to be caught. He had never seen it happen, but the elders assured him that it was so, and Yili had learned long ago that the elders were wise, far wiser than he. They knew these things. Sitting beneath the palms that day, Yili watched the gulls and thought of Yola, dead two years now. He had scoffed at the elders' teachings, proclaimed that it was the people's birthright to dance under the sun. Worse, to ride upon the waves to see what lay beyond the breakers. Madness. Nothing lay past the breakers. Nothing that could serve the people in any account. 
And if it could not be of use, what good was it, even if it was there? No, better to not think about such things. So the elders said, and after what happened to Yola, Yili knew it for truth. The memory of his brother's corpse, burnt, twisted and broken, what was left of his mouth locked open into a soundless howl of agony, and his eyes wide from the horror of his final moments, still haunted Yili. Yola had been a good man, a kind brother, a dutiful son to their mother, and a loving husband. It grieved Yili that his brother had not lived to see his twin sons born. That was what came of defying the gods' decrees. Men were meant to remain within the trees, away from the sand of fire, and certainly man was forbidden the sea. A gull's cry pulled Yili from his reverie. He lifted his eyes in time to see as it dove earthward, its eyes fixed on a small crab that was meandering its way toward the surf. It would be just close enough to snatch. Yili set his sling to spinning and loosed the moment the gull's talons latched onto the crab. It had hardly begun to launch itself back skyward when the rock struck it on the side of its head. The dull squish of the impact was punctuated by the soft crack of breaking bone, and the gull fell to the sand, dead. Yili smiled in satisfaction. Two queries with one stone. Once there had been a time when he could not have dreamed to take such a prize so easily. He laughed inwardly at himself in his early clumsy ventures with the sling, but Yola had helped him learn. It fell to him since their father died when Yili was still little. Yola would have been proud to see Yili make this shot. Yili felt a momentary pang of loss, but shoved it aside. It had been long enough. To dwell on a matter so far in the past was counterproductive, and did Yola's soul no honor. He would prefer Yili to be strong and provide for his, for their, family without letting himself be laid up by regrets. When he stepped onto the sand and felt the burning sun overhead, Yili felt no such thing, only a surge of ecstasy as he felt the sun god's touch upon him. As always, the temptation to stop fell heavily upon him, but he did not give in. In mere moments, he crossed the short expanse of sand, snatched up the gull and crab corpses, and darted back beneath the palm trees. There he stopped for a moment to gather his breath and his wits. He could have sworn he saw something out of the corner of his eyes he darted back something long and dark, nearly black in the blazing sunlight and the glare of the sand. But when he looked around from his position of safety, he saw nothing. A shiver of fright surged down his spine, and Yili had to stop himself from turning away and fleeing back to the village as fast as his feet could carry him. It was the beast. It had to be. And yet, when he looked around, he could see no sign of the thing. The only tracks on the sand were his. And where the dark body lay on the beach, there was not the slightest disturbance. It was nothing, just his mind running ahead of him. Yili felt another impulse to flee to the village, but he forced himself to remain. He always took the time to pluck feathers from his kill, and people would remark upon it if he did not do so this time. No sense in opening himself up to awkward questions. And even more, it was far better not to worry Kaylee excessively. She was due for her third child, his this time, any day now. So Yili sat down and began pulling feathers from the gull's corpse. He spent some minutes some hours there, preparing the evening meal for roasting before he noticed it. At first he thought he was imagining things again. There had never been anything to see on the sea other than waves with their gentle lapping and their occasional white caps. But sure enough, after Yili blinked his eyes and looked away for a half minute, the thing remained there, bobbing along the waves as it made its way toward the island. What was it? It was white, like bleached driftwood, and had a tree growing out of it. 
except the tree did not have palm fronds like trees normally do. This tree was bare except for a loose white thing that flapped around in the breeze. It reminded Yili of the time Samo had stolen Gil's favorite loincloth and tied it to the end of a palm. It flapped around just as that loose white thing did, but Yili had never heard of a tree growing a leaf like that. His kill forgotten, Yili watched, heedless of the lengthening shadows, as the strange object drew ever closer. Only when it reached the breakers did he actually come to believe it was real, and then only the sound of it impacting the reef, the twangs and crunches, and the shout of dismay convinced him. It was the shout that really did it. Yili had heard all manner of wildlife before, but man, man made distinctive sounds. And the sound emanating from that thing as it broke apart on the breakers was definitely made by a man, a man in fear. But men are forbidden to see. It had always been thus and always would be thus. So how had a man managed to get on that whatever it was and become endangered on the breakers? He watched as the strange object split in two and then split apart farther under the force of the waves against the reef. From a distance, he saw two man-like shapes struggle to remain on board even as the thing broke apart. Finally, they fell into the crashing waves and Yili thought for sure that was the last he would see of them. Nothing got through the breakers. The gods had placed them there to protect the island and its people and they did a fine job of it. Yili felt a flash of sympathy for the two men. Drowning did not seem a pleasant way to die. Though, in reality, he could not think of any that was, except perhaps how old Beru had passed, in his sleep and peacefully. And yet, Yili could not also help feeling a certain relief, almost satisfaction. The gods protected his people well. Surely, those two only looked like men. Man was not for the sea, therefore those two were more likely demons, servants of the beast, and come to the island for no good. He smiled slightly, and turned to finish plucking the gull. Only a few feathers remained. But more movement in the water within the lagoon grabbed his attention once again. A single dark shape, it was difficult to make out any details from the glare of the lowering sun against the water, bobbed there, moving closer to shore. Wait, it was not a single shape, it was two, but so close together they just seemed like one. Curious, he squinted his eyes, trying to see better. The objects drew nearer, and it became clear one of them was moving, swirling the water ahead of itself in a way that appeared random at first. But quickly, Yili realized there was a purpose to that swirling, as the objects continued to move in toward shore against the retreating tide. All at once, Yili realized what he was seeing. The two men were moving through the water, propelling themselves somehow with their limbs. Another thing that was unimaginable, perhaps even heretical. They drew closer, and it became obvious that only one of them was actually doing the swirling. The other bobbed limply, only accompanying the first because he had his hand wrapped around the limp man's body, pulling him along. Amazing. They should have sunk there beneath the relatively calm surface of the lagoon, but after just a few moments, the pair reached the shallows near shore. The injured one continued to lie limply, while the other one pulled them both up onto the sand. But he only managed to get them a few feet above the small surf slapping waves before collapsing in a heap next to his injured companion. Closer now, Yili could see more details about them. The one who had pulled them ashore was tall, probably head and shoulders taller than Yili, and pale. He was colorful, much more colorful than anyone Yili had ever seen. His torso was a swirl of bright colors and flowers, except for his arms, from just above his elbows. His legs were white above the knee and almost as pale below. It made no sense how it took Gili a moment to realize that the colors were clothing of some sort. 
but it was like nothing he had ever seen before. It was certainly not fur or tanned hide. More amazing still, the man's hair was golden. Yili had never seen anything but black hair on a person before. What sort of being was this? All at once, he felt a rush of excitement and more than a little fear beneath his growing curiosity. Perhaps this man and his companion were gods themselves. It would explain a great many things. But if so, why would they have crashed and had such a hard time of it? Yili sat still for a long several moments, thinking. Then, setting his kill down again, he maneuvered slowly toward the edge of the tree line. He glanced back and forth down the beach. There was no sign of the beast. Perhaps the gold man's presence frightened it off. Yili shook his head quickly. Small chance of that. The beast did not fear the sun god. Small chance would fear these men, even if they were gods themselves. Drawing a deep breath, he stepped from beneath the palm's protective canopy and hurried over to the two prostrate forms. As he drew near, though, he realized he had made a mistake. These were not two men. The smaller of the two, the one who had bobbed limply along behind the man, was a woman. It was obvious from up close. She was curved in the hips like other women Yili had known, but she was lush and toned in a way that other women were not. There was something intensely alluring about her, the strength of her cheekbones, the magical golden locks that so resembled the man's, the muscles of her arms and legs, the way her rounded breasts moved with each shallow breath that she took. The fact that her breasts were so nearly revealed, she only wore thin scraps of some material over them, with thin straps that rose above her shoulders to keep the scraps in place. Quite a bit different from the tunics the women of the island wore. Unbidden, he felt himself reacting physically to her, and forced himself to look away. It was not proper to think of a god so. And now that he had seen them up close, what else could these two creatures be? Surely no man and woman had ever appeared as they did. Just then, the man made a surprised sound, and Yili jumped. His heart pounded in his ears, and he lost his balance, and fell onto his bottom. He winced at the feel of the hot sand on his skin, more tender there than on the soles of his feet, and looked over at the man. He had awoken and pushed himself up onto his elbows, looking quizzically at Yili with deep blue eyes. He was clearly exhausted, but determination shone from his features as he took Yili's measure. The man spoke in a deep voice, saying something that Yili could not understand. But he could understand the question in the man's eyes. Who was he? Yili swallowed, then tapped his chest and said his name, slowly. The man stared at him, then slowly sounded out the word as though tasting it. Then he nodded and pushed himself up to a sitting position and began to speak again. But again, it was unintelligible, except that the man sounded weary, frightened, angry, ashamed, all of those things at once. Yili shrugged slightly and opened his mouth to say how pleased the others in the village would be to meet the two gods traveled from so far to visit them. But something stirred at the edge of his vision, and his breath caught in his throat. All at once he became fully aware of the sun god's heat beating down, diminishing as he approached the horizon, but intense all the same, of the movement of the crabs and the gulls, and of the sudden silence. The gulls were not calling as they normally did, and even the lapping waves seemed muffled. Again, there was movement at the corner of his eye, and he whipped his head around to see, but there was nothing there except the vague impression of darkness fleeing from the range of his vision. The beast. Yili's blood ran cold, and he sprang to his feet. After a moment, he realized he was babbling, words spilling from his lips in a rush that left the man's eyes wide in confusion. They had to move. Get off the beach. Yili pointed at the man, then at the woman, then at the palm trees. Morlock stabbed with his fingers toward the trees as emphatically as he knew how. 
The man just looked at him in a way that people had looked at poor Sira when her mind left her. This time, the movement was not just at the edge of his vision. Something dark flashed across the beach on the other side of the strange man, distant, but obviously moving closer. There was no time. They had to get off the beach immediately. Yili bent down, took hold of the woman's wrist, and began pulling her toward the tree line. A flash of bright light overwhelmed his vision as something struck the side of his head, hard, sending him sprawling to the sand. Nausea surged upwards, and he almost vomited. His ears rang, and his vision swirled haphazardly for several seconds. When he finally righted himself and managed to prop himself up, the man was standing over him, his great hands clenched in fists and a fierce light in his eyes. Gods, he thought Yili was trying to make off with his woman. Slowly pushing himself to his feet, Yili shook his head emphatically and tried to explain. He gestured from the woman to the trees, then from the man to the trees, all the while saying how important it was that they leave and leave now. He could hardly believe they had lasted so long, now that he thought on it. The man's scowl only grew more deep as Yili spoke and gestured. He almost thought the man was going to attack him again. Then, suddenly, the man's face went slack, his eyes wide, as his gaze moved from Yili's face to something over his shoulders. Then the slack expression turned to one of fright. He saw. The man let out a little whimper, bent over, and scooped his woman up into his arms. Either she was lighter than she looked, she was slightly taller than Yili, and though without excess fat, her toned muscles would add to her weight, or he was very strong. Not sparing Yili a glance, he began hustling toward the tree line. Not a moment too soon, Yili turned to follow him, trying to hold down the growing terror that clamored at his mind. And thanking the sun god, they were finally moving again. Then something black as night whipped past between Yili and the man. It moved too quickly for Yili to see anything except for the darkness of its presence. But whatever it really was, it struck the man at the ankles. He screamed in sudden pain, lurching forward and falling to the sand. His woman tumbled from his arms as he fell, landing in a heap next to him. The man screamed again, louder. Stunned, Yili saw that the man's feet were simply gone below the ankle. Only the stumps remained at the bottom of his legs, stumps that did not bleed. They were charred like overcooked meat. But unlike cooked meat, the odor they came off choked the breath out of Yili's lungs and threatened, for the second time in as many minutes, to send him stumbling away to find a place to vomit. But he did not. Somehow he knew that if he gave in to that impulse, it would be the end for him and for the woman, as well as the man. Yili stumbled over next to the man and squatted down. He was all but mad with pain and terror, but he grasped at Yili's arms and gestured toward the woman, then to the tree line, just as Yili had. Satisfaction threatened to overwhelm compassion for the man as part of Yili's mind scoffed the man's desperate request. Had he but listened to Yili when they tried to help, they would all be safe now, not movement off to the left in a flash of blackness helped Yili get control of himself. Forcing the shamefully scornful thoughts down, he nodded to the man and clasped arms with him. Then he turned and, grabbing the woman by her wrist, began dragging her away. The man tried to follow, dragging himself across the sand with his arms, but the end was never in doubt. Yili wished he could not see, but he was dragging the woman and had his back to the trees to get the most leverage. He could not help but see as a wave of black rose out of the sand and engulfed the man. His scrabbling fingers were not able to prevent himself from being dragged away. Down he went into the darkness. His final scream was blood-curdling and horrid. And then there was nothing but the sand and the lapping of the waves. Even the man's tracks had been wiped clean by the passing of the beast. Well, sounded like a nice beach for a little while there, but turns out it's really the beach of death. Dun-dun-dun! Or something like that. Um, I like to think there's an interesting setup. 
of course I think that. I wrote it. But, uh, yeah, so looks like yeah, Yili's got his tribe there on the island, and they uh, never leave because the breakers would break their boats apart if they knew how to make a boat. But they can't make a boat, apparently, because they're coming out on the beach. means the beast will get them and drag them down to the sand, leaving no trace, just like what happened to that poor guy uh, that Yili tried to, to rescue. Well, that sucks. At least he managed to rescue the woman. Um, we'll see what comes of her. Uh, you know, it's fu funny, not funny. Part of the reason I'm sure that I wrote this is, uh, you know, I like sailing. I owned a sailboat for a while, sailed it up and down the East Coast and the Intracoastal Waterway, <clears throat> and uh, got rid of it when we moved out to San Diego just because trucking it across the country and storage and slip fees in San Diego are just atrocious, right? So... Still miss it, and I uh, always had the hankering going a long ways back to get a boat, sailed around the world, do fun stuff like that. Um, and I've read many blog accounts and books written by people who have done just that. Um, so you have this couple there on their sailboat, and they lose control and hit the breakers, and rope breaks apart, and they swim to shore, and that sucks. And I'm sure that came right out of that long term fantasy of mine there um except <laughs> yeah the fantasy doesn't involve breaking apart on the rocks right but man whose fantasy does really anyway so uh that's the first part of the story that was about 3800 words out of a total of i want to say 16,000 or so um so you know another two or three parts of this and we'll get done hopefully you liked it if you did uh Drop me a line. Go by mykingswood.com. You can send an email. You can leave comments on this video and podcast. You can go to my Facebook group, uh, which I don't check that often because I hate Facebook. But you can still go there, and eventually I'll see it. And, uh, you know, book exists. It's for sale, too. And ebook form, I don't think I've ever done a print version uh, audio either, although this can be the start to that. Um, I'm go from there. I uh, hope you like it. I'll uh, talk to you next week. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Oh, that includes don't not like and subscribe to the podcast and the video. I would not not like and subscribe it, so you should too. All right, that's it. I uh, really don't do anything I wouldn't do. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>